Good morning or good evening. I guess it depends on when you're listening to this. It's uh, Tom Ram from Tom's Big Spiders, keeping my streak alive for the podcast. This one came close because I'm trying to work on a video right now. I'm trying to get back up to doing one video a week. And this week it's kind of extra important that I get it done because I'm trying to hit a deadline for Sunday because if anyone follows my YouTube page or the community tab where it allows me, I love the community tab because it's kind of like my own little private forum that I can send messages out to my YouTube followers, which is great because there's a huge chunk of people that get the messages. I was contacted recently by Adam Hartwick, who is creating something called Tarantula TV. And I do get contacted quite a you know, frequently by people that have different, you know, business ventures going or things that they're trying to promote or whatnot. But this immediately was one of the coolest things I have ever had brought to my attention. Basically, he's got some great goals for it. Right now, what happens is you go on to Tarantula TV and you can find all of my videos. So whatever the newest one is, that'll be the feature video. And then you'll see all the other videos underneath it. And what it allows me to do is kind of live chat with people while they're watching a video. So immediately my mind's going a mile a minute when he explained how this works. And I got on the site and got to play around with it because one of the biggest issues with it, not issues, but one of the you know challenges of having the YouTube channel and the amount of people that I've uh, interact with, which I absolutely love, don't get me wrong, but the more people that find the channel, the more comments there are, the more time it takes to answer the comments. And sometimes, you know, somebody will ask me something that's a timely question. I just won't have been checking, you know, YouTube that day. Sometimes there's a couple days in between me posting and getting back to YouTube to check the, the comments again. I do the best I can, but I have emails and everything else. And what will happen is there'll be like a delay. So somebody will be like, hey, Tom, I bought this species. What do you know about it? And then I'll respond back to them, and then they'll have another question for me. And I don't really get to – it could be a few days later before I get to that second question or whatnot. So it just – although communication is decent, it's one of those deals where I'm always looking for ways to be more interactive. And I thought this was a cool idea because literally I could throw a video up we could all go over, meet, you know, a certain place in time and say, I'm watching a video at, you know, 12 o'clock on Sunday, meet me at Tarantula TV, and we can go all go over, kind of throw the video on together, and that way people can actually ask questions live and get responses live, because I know I try to put as much information as possible in those videos, and I use the little notes and whatnot, and I try to make them informative, but there's always questions, and there's always, you know, things that people want to know more about, so I thought that'd be a really cool way to do that, and a cool way to interact. Now, I'm going to have to set, you know, aside chunks of time, whether it be a half hour or an hour, because I could see it, I'm I'm honestly picturing it being something where there's going to be quite a few people on, and it'll be tough keeping up with it all, but... Also, Adam has the idea of turning Tarantula TV into like a application for like Roku, which would be amazing. I have uh, Roku on two of my t- I have Roku TV. I have Roku upstairs in my bedroom. We do Billy and I have used it for years. So the idea of having just a channel that you could download that would be totally devoted to arachnids and tarantulas is just the coolest thing ever. And so anything I can help to do to promote this to make sure it's successful, I am totally on board with. And he's even gone so far as to say he's got a budget as far as promotions concerned, so that for, you know, mentioning that we're going to be on tarantula TV, which quite frankly I would do no problem at all without taking anything for, but the fact that he will be putting forth some prizes and some promotional items, just, just a cool opportunity so I am looking to this Sunday, and this is Saturday morning now, to try this new feature to debut a video and then have some folks meet me over on Tarantula TV so that we can do a bit of a live chat around it. And again, it just, the video is going to be a shorter one, so it's not going to take up the whole time. But I hopefully between, you know, even if 15 people show up and ask questions, that's going to take a lot of time. And we'll see how it goes. And I would, going ahead, like to use this a lot more. 
And again, there's other people over there right now. I know my buddy from Tarantula Cave, I believe, is on there as well. Petco from Dark Den has a channel set up over there. And my buddy Alex from Tarantula Haven, who's got an absolutely fantastic channel if you haven't checked it out. And he's got a channel over there and very knowledgeable guy, a teacher as well. So it looks like Adam's putting together quite a group. And Adam has his own channel up there, which I was able to check out the first couple videos they did. And they're fantastic. I mean, really engaging, slickly produced. So very excited about this. It kind of takes it away from just YouTube. Not that there's anything wrong with YouTube, but... The idea that we're collecting these, or Adam's collecting these channels and putting them in their own place, I think has a lot of merit to it and could be something really fantastic. And I'm willing to go all in and try to draw people to it because it's going to be fun for me and I think hopefully fun for my listeners and people that I interact with because there'll be a way to kind of get a hold of me in live time because trying to get back to the messages, emails, Facebook messages, I'm terrible at getting and uh, responding to in a timely fashion. So this will be a, a better way to kind of do things, you know, more timely and have them hopefully be a little more interactive. So anyway, that's why this one might be a little short this morning is I have a video I'm working on right now with a bunch of mult updates that I really need to do the voiceover on and get edited out because that's the one I plan on debuting tomorrow to try Tarantula TV out. So this probably won't dip into the 45, 50 minute hour range this time around. It's probably going to end up being a half hour. So just a heads up. So the main topic we'll be talking about today is tarantula DKS or dyskinetic syndrome and the reason I'm bringing this one out not we haven't had anything lately as far as dyskinetic syndrome from my end from my collection however I have been getting some questions about it and it is something that um, I've actually had a few people contact me with lately with video with their spiders you know being all jittery and like is this bad and it's terrible when I get these because when a spider shows the symptoms of disconnect syndrome I think I've read one instance where the spider supposedly pulled out of it and again reading the description over again it almost sounded like it probably wasn't that that the spider was just acting a little weird but who knows it might have pulled out of it but this is something that scares a lot of people because it comes on you you we talk about ad nauseum the fact that tarantulas aren't particularly expressive so a lot of times we see it as they all of a sudden have something wrong with them when in fact they probably were sick for quite some time and just didn't display any symptoms and when disconnect syndrome comes on and when you see it it's pretty unmistakable and, and devastating to watch in one of your animals that you know you've taken care of and cared for. It's, just, it's very tough to see. The first time I experienced it was with an Encanthoscuria in Subtilis that I had bought. Uh, it had molted out. It looked great. Uh, it had a little when it molted. It had a little skin stuck to the abdomen still, and I moistened it down with a Q-tip and came right off. But nothing major. Nothing that you know caused any alarm. It was like all right, a little skin left. That happens all the time. Unfortunately, it ate once, I believe, and then afterwards it started moving funny, and I was totally thrown off. I'd never seen this before. Immediately suspected that something was up, and within a day or two, it got to the point where it was jittering around so much, it looked like it had completely lost control of its limb, so if you'd slightly blow on it, and I'd only do it because I was trying to convince myself that what I was seeing was normal behavior, but the legs would just go up and down, it would kind of spin in circles. It, it's just, again, horrific to watch. I'm sure there's people out there that have experienced it in their own collection. And at the time, we couldn't figure out what had caused it. However, after giving it some thought and looking at some of the possible causes of DKS, one of them is pesticides, and we were treating our dogs with that flea and tick stuff that you would basically run down their spines, and it was out and about, like you could obviously put your hands in it. If you're petting your dogs, it was on your hands, and although I was always very careful when feeding my tarantulas and making sure that I wash my hands after petting my dogs, you know, it's, it's possible, and I don't recall this happening, 
but I very easily could have pet the dogs, handled the cricket, dropped the cricket in, and exposed it that way. So that was the only explanation we could come up with at the time. And, and believe me, I, I've made it very clear. When I experience a death, I take it very seriously. It, it hits hard, and I'm always agonizing over what I could have done differently to prevent it. And that was a tough one because I love this little spider. I'd never seen him around before. I believe we picked it up for my birthday. And so it was it was tough seeing it go down like that. So since then, I've received you know, I put up a really cruddy video with some not particularly great music in the background to show people what it looked like. And since then, I've had several people contact me seeing the same thing. So before we get going, like, in earnest on this one, do understand that it doesn't seem to be something that happens very often. I've kept uh, hundreds now of tarantulas over the years, and I've only seen it twice in my own collection. So it's not something that happens frequently, but it is something that when it happens, it... It can, it can spook you a bit. It, it's something that it really freaks you out because you're not used to seeing something like that, and it is disturbing to watch. So anyway, the point of this podcast is about two, 18 months ago or so, two years ago, I got contacted by Emily Draper, who was basically planning on doing a paper on tarantula DKS. She was a veterinary nurse. She was interested in tarantulas, and I thought this was absolutely an amazing idea because we really don't have much on it. Unfortunately, a lot of what we get in the hobby, and I had somebody contact me recently asking for scientific proof of everything that I've said in my videos, and I'm like, honey, it's not going to happen. We don't have it. A lot of it's anecdotal. We don't Fortunately, people aren't studying the way that we would like, but this was an instance where somebody was going to take a you know scientific approach to looking at this, and, and I think it's, it's a huge task because there's so many things that are thought to cause DKS, but to have any information or any you know type of points that we could look at to go, all right, this is another possibility, or we can narrow it down to this, or this is some similarity, I think is huge. So Emily emailed me, said she was going to be working on this, and then I get contacted by a lot of people that are going to be working on stuff, and I don't necessarily hear back, but lo and behold, she got back to me, which I was incredibly thankful for, and shared a link to the completed paper, which was an awesome read. Now, unfortunately, I can't print the paper here. You'd have to subscribe to the journal that it was printed in, or pay for the article, but I am going to go through some of the things that were mentioned in it, and what's going to happen, I think, I'm, I'm getting a hold of Emily again, is I'm going to do a write-up of it on Tom's Big Spiders, I'll probably revisit it in the podcast as well, but just kind of hitting some of the highlights, and then Emily and her partner Stephen A. Trim, who are both the ones that worked on this, will hopefully answer some questions for me, because I do have some answer, uh, some questions after reading this. So the introduction is pretty straightforward. It describes what it looks like. And if you've seen it, it's basically they look like they lose full control of their limbs. They have very spasmodic movements. They kind of jitter. They, When they go to move, they kind of spin around and can't seem to get traction, can't seem to go in the right direction. And basically what happens, they can't eat, they can't drink, and they usually die within a week. I know when mine got it, it was like four or five days. The second species that I got that had it, unfortunately, was a female um, H. pulchropes. That one was – that one hurt. As well, and I saw her in the corner of her enclosure. She's usually in her burrow, and she didn't look right. And uh, as I opened the enclosure, I kind of breathed on her, and I watched the legs go. And I'm like, "You've got to be kidding me!" No, 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 no. So if you've seen it, they it's very unmistakable. I think, unfortunately, after posting or talking about it once, I think in a article on Tom's Big Spiders, a lot of people were showing me videos like, "I think my my spider has it," and it was just normal movements. It's I think when you actually see it, it's blatantly obvious. So in this paper, um, Emily and Stephen both cover, you know, obviously some of the symptoms of it. 
And then they describe the ataxia, unusual posture and diminished writing reflex. So, for example, you will see people have found their tarantula flipped over and they put them back over to their, you know, on their feet and they still kind of scramble around. Erratic seizure-like movements and that's, you can usually notice that when you disturb them. If you miss the enclosure and it startles them, you see the legs start pumping up and down. Intense preening of the pedipalps and appendages. That I have not noticed and that was one of the things I looked at like maybe that's an early sign of it that I missed in some of these so now I'm kind of scared because I noticed one of my tarantulas printing the other day but lethargy and hydrophobia and then next up they go into some of the possible causes for it now again I feel for them on this one because trying to figure out what could be causing this spider is a tough order but they do come up with some great ideas and I think phrase it in a way that makes it a little more succinct than some of the things that are out there on the internet. So a couple of the ones first, I'm going to skip the first one because I found that one the most eye-opening, neurodegenerative disorder, and they put the signs exhibited by afflicted specimens could be indicative of a ganglion disorder. So basically, when you see this happening, it looks like there's something wrong with the nervous system of the spider. It looks like it's fritzing out. If you ever seen the movies where they have like little robots and they start fritzing out and they're like twitching and making weird noises and everything, it almost looks like that. So that could definitely be something. And they talk about underlying genetic abnormalities or protein accumulation, misfolding syndromes that cause neurodegenerative conditions in vertebrates such as prions. So again, not going to be lying to you guys and telling you I know exactly what that means, but I will be following up with some questions so we can get more information. But I do, I have heard one of the things said that could cause this is some type of neurological issue possibly caused by, in some cases, extreme heat, exposure to extreme cold, dehydration, something that triggers these. But again, we're not sure. Another one that comes up, nutritional deficit, which I found, again, very eye-opening, something I don't know if I really considered before. But they bring up vitamin D deficiency has been linked with causing neurodegenerative symptoms in vertebrates. So it could be a vitamin deficiency. So there's been a lot of talk about whether or not you should gut load crickets and roaches or whether it's needed or not. And this could be something that points to the fact that maybe our, through what we're feeding our feeders, they're not getting the nutrients they need, which could cause issues there. And they go on to break it down more scientifically, talking about the omega-3, omega-6, and alpha-linolenic acid. My gosh, this one's a tongue twister. Um, they've also talked about dehydration possibly causing it. So again, there's been instances where I've talked to people and they said, yeah, you know, it dried up a little bit and she was looking a little lethargic and curled up and I gave her some water and she was fine, but then later on the symptoms showed up. So that's something to look at. Suboptimal husbandry. And this is one that I have seen one instance, unfortunately, where when they sent me video of the tarantula, um, it, it seemed pretty apparent to me that if it didn't get DKS, it was going to die from something else because it was in pretty bad condition. Luckily, the people listened to me. They had inherited it from somebody else. They were told this was totally fine. It wasn't. So incorrect humidity levels coupled with unsanitary conditions, they write, could be precursors to an infection due to the buildup of bacteria and fungi. That is the one that kind of scares me. Um, the bacteria and fungi one has been something, and I've talked about it earlier, that I'm starting to think more about my fossorial species and the fact that they're in these bins of dirt where they're, it's not like we're out in the wild where the water can percolate down through and filter out and, you know, there's constant weathering and whatnot. They're in a box full of dirt where there's nowhere for the bacteria to go. And even if you use cleaner insects and, uh, you know, clean out, spot clean and stuff like that, 
you could still miss stuff or have bacteria in there that could be harmful to the spider. So this is what really piqued my interest in this. Now, with the species I lost, the Insubtilis, I will say I don't think it was a bacterial issue because I literally just rehoused it. It was in a, a smaller container. It picked up size very quickly. So it was only in there for a month or so, a couple months, I think. And then I moved it into a much larger container that it had only been in for a little while. So I don't think in that instance it was. However, if I'm being completely honest, my poker piece that I lost had been in the same container for quite a while. And she had done quite a bit of burrowing and that was one that I occasionally would wet down part of the substrate, just, you know, give her a water dish or whatever. I don't know if a cricket went down there and died. I don't know what was going on in that burrow, but there's a good chance that something might have gotten in there that I missed and caused some bacteria buildup. So that scares me. And that's something that I'm giving a lot of thought to and why I'm starting to think more about doing the more naturalistic enclosure, at least using, you know, feeding insects more and essentially cleaning them out more to make sure that I don't get a bacterial uh, buildup. And then one of the other things she brought up that I thought was interesting because it's been something I've been talking a lot about lately with other hobbyists are infections. Tarantulas can get infections and the first line under infections on her, no, their paper are arachnids are susceptible to opportunistic bacterial infection. And we don't know a lot about which things cause it. We were not sure. I mean, we don't have names for the infections. not like, oh, my tarantula has a cold. My tarantula caught the flu. But just reading that kind of reinforces some of the things I've been thinking as far as mysterious, when I get mysterious deaths, could it be some type of infection? Could it be something it caught? Could it be a, a bacterial infection? Um, one of the things that were mentioned in this is that three cases of suspected DKS were discovered to test positive for Pseudodominus species infections. Hopefully I pronounced that right. But this is a type of bacteria that was found in three of these cases. So that I find very interesting because that's not just speculation. They have found this bacteria or an infection of this bacteria in three of these, which is a common thread. So again, I do think and a lot of people believe that there are many different causes for the DKS. But to be able to pin it on or at least have a lead as far as a type of bacteria that could be causing it, I find to be amazing and, and quite huge, a huge development. And this is specifically one of the questions I have for the authors of this one because I want to know more about this bacteria, like where it might be found or whatnot. But according to the, this report, there are actually two different types of bacterial infections that can be found in arachnids. One of them is on the cuticle and another one is it's systematic, it's inside of them. So the study of virus among spiders, unfortunately, is not very deep or well documented. So there would be there would need to be more information on this. But it is at least, it, it's a start. It's a place we can look and go, all right, we've actually got something we can look at. Now, hopefully, moving ahead, people will kind of take up this and start looking more into it. I'm not particularly holding my breath because, unfortunately, it seems like only people that really get into the hobby are interested in researching this type of stuff. And I think that's one of the frustrations we have as tarantula enthusiasts is that we love these guys. We're noticing these issues, but trying to get information, scientific information on it is very, very difficult. But at least with people writing papers like this, we do get some information. We finally get some answers, albeit small ones, but I think very important ones. So furthermore, when you go in the article, there's a whole section about nursing of DKS cases and I've found personally, I mean, I've done a lot of research into this, and there aren't many cases, like I said before, I found one where it sounded like the spider turned around, but 
overall, they doesn't the prognosis isn't particularly good for your spider if they get this. And most people I tell them, if it comes down to it and they're not eating it, it gets worse. Sometimes the, they euthanize them using the freezer. It's the most humane, humane way to euthanize a spider. It's a way to go because they basically just twitch around, they don't eat, they don't drink, and then they die. However, mentioned here are ways to sedate if you want to, you know, deal with the spider that way, which I think for some people it's probably out of the realm of possibility, but there is a whole section on sedation of them. And then they talk about using injections that you can be administered into the heart or ventral aspect of the patella joint. So I have heard of people experimenting with injections with tarantulas and specifically in the area, I believe it was nematodes, they were using some type of antibiotic or something to inject the tarantula to get rid of the nematodes and they apparently had some success. And it would, you know, it it seems reasonable that there are things out there that would work in instances like this, especially if there was a bacterial infection, although I think treating arachnids with um, pharmaceuticals, that, that's definitely an area that we don't have a lot of experience and or information on, but apparently people have tried it, have success. I know it, I had somebody email me about when I did the nematode thing saying that he was, I can't remember for the life of me which country it was, but it was someplace overseas where the antibiotics aren't so seriously regulated as they are here in the States. In the States, you just don't walk out to your you know local CVS or pharmacy and pick up antibiotics. But he said there was one on the market they had tried using on their spiders when they were ill, and it worked great. And he said it was very believable. And I, I'm not discounting what he said at all, which is, I think, a little more difficult in the States and some other countries where these things are much more heavily regulated. But there have been talks of you know using injections or even oral injections using like a uh, pipette you know, basically squirting it right into the mouth parts and having that work on them. And this would be something I would absolutely love to hear more about in the future if somebody does have one with DKS, if they are able to treat it with something like this. Granted, it's going to be hard to prove it actually worked and it would have to be something that would probably have to take place in a lab. And the unfortunate part about when your spiders exhibit signs of DKS is it's only a very short matter of time before they die. So I think in a situation where it's like, all right, I have one that has DKS. I'd like to get this to a lab to have them treat it. It's not like you're going to be able to mail it out and have them work on it. It's going to be difficult to set one of those up. However, the fact that somebody actually took the time, Emily and Steven took the time to get this paper done shows that there are people out there that care about these issues that are willing to put the time and effort in to do the research and do some experimentation. So hopefully they can take this a step further. Perhaps in her travels, Emily has somebody bring one into the vet she works at and they're able to try some things with it that might work. And then maybe that gets out and we can start helping our own vets better understand these animals and treat them. Because if anybody here has ever taken one of their arachnids to the vet, um, chances are they kind of stare at you. I mean, I know there are some out there that say they treat them, but when I hear what they do for them, it's it's kind of, I don't know, it just all comes across as kind of perfunctory. Like, oh yeah, we're just going to do this, this, and this, and hopefully it'll be okay. There's not a lot out there as far as veterinary medicine on these. Although Emily does mention in her paper that it is becoming more common for vets to see these, and it sounds like vets are responding to this by wanting to learn more information and learn how to treat them better. So that's good. It's not like they're just going to come in, flip your spider over, and go, yep, it's a spider, um, put it in ICU or whatever. They're actually trying to figure out ways to help them. So hopefully, and this is my thought, is that with more case studies, people will continue this research 
and find ways and discover more ways to treat these animals, have a better understanding of how they work, the things that can hurt them, the bacteria that we're talking about, you know, what causes that, nematodes, things of that nature, to actually develop a way to treat these animals successfully. Because when my dog has something wrong with it, I can bring it to the vet, and the vets can usually tell me fairly quickly by using some tests, some scientifically proven tests, what is wrong with my animal, and they can usually treat it. That's common. Even most of the vertebrates that we can bring in, they can treat. However, I found personally that most vets are woefully lacking with arachnid knowledge. They're not sure, and it's not necessarily their fault because I think it is still a hobby that's kind of blowing up, and they're probably starting to see more and more of them. It's not something they've had to deal with very often, and there's not a lot on them, and they're a difficult animal to understand. But it does make me feel better that people are looking into this stuff. I mean, I think personally that this paper really is a step in the right direction of understanding what can injure our tarantulas, what types of diseases they have, what can cause DKS. Because again, I think a lot of people like to refer to DKS like it's like cancer or a heart attack. It's not. It's symptoms of some underlying issue and we don't know what the issue is. It could be many issues that cause this and just end up with the same type of symptom. So until people start really looking at this more carefully and scientifically, we're kind of at a loss. But I know I would love to see a day where something's wrong with my tarantulas instead of me just combing the internet looking for examples of people that have had the same thing or trying things like, you know, the whole, we've talked about the ICU before and I'm not, I don't really find it particularly helpful. I think it helps in a case where something's dehydrated, but otherwise you're just taking something out and stressing it. You know, you have a spider that's already stressed and not doing well and you're plucking it out of its home and sticking it in a moist paper towels. I just find that sometimes it really doesn't work. And it's kind of like backwards thinking how to treat these guys, but it would be nice to have something more than that to go to when your spider is sick. I would have no problem paying. We, we bring our dogs to the vet. We get the yearly visits. We get them checked out all the time. Anytime there's anything wrong, right to the vet to get it checked out. I would be the same way with my spiders. All right, I've got a spider here. It's lethargic. It's not in pre-mol. It's starting to get jittery off to the veterinarian. The veterinarian goes, oh, yep, the signs of DKS caused by this bacteria. We just ran a test on it and then treats it. And my spider's fine. That would be amazing. But we have a ways to go before we get to that point. But I do think one of the more promising things that came out of this paper, I keep saying article, it's a paper, my apologies, is the fact that it seems that vets are recognizing more and more cases of tarantulas and arachnids being brought in, and they are trying to adapt and learn more about them. So if we have people like Emily that are actually taking the time to study these guys and do things like that, and obviously she is involved in veterinary medicine, and people like Tim, who's obviously interested in these animals and has the ability to do the correct scientific research, that's huge. We need more people like these guys in the hobby so we can start progressing in terms of veterinary medicine where it applies to tarantulas because I I will say that's the one part of the hobby that I lament is the fact that we don't have a lot to go with as far as when our tarantulas get sick. It's something that's weighed heavily on me lately when I had the whole substrate issue. You're just left feeling very helpless and unable to do anything to help them. So Again, I will post a link to where you can find this article. I do believe you'll probably, if you want to read the whole thing, and I would say it's worth it if the, if the price is reasonable, to, to pick up one and read through it. Just I think it's at least a starting place for us as far as not only understanding what might cause DKS in tarantulas, but a starting point as far as people being interested in tarantula veterinary medicine and a, you know, kind of a, a hope, I find it to be a hopeful paper 
and that it means people are finally starting to look at this and that veterinarians are realizing there is going to be a need not only now but in the future as these pets become more and more popular with people to help treat these animals correctly. And I personally would love to see in my lifetime a point where I can pack up my spider and bring it to the vet when there's something wrong with it and actually have it treated in a way that will help it as opposed to having, like, you know, I've heard stories. Of this poor woman contacted me, oh, God, it was about two years ago, and she had a tarantula that was acting sick, and she brought it to the vet, and the vet basically flipped it over, went, yep, it looks healthy to me, put it in something with some water, and that was it. That was her vet visit, and I think it cost her like 60 bucks to have a vet tell her that. And we need that to change. We need to be able to actually seek treatment for our pets and, and actually treat, effective treatment for our pets. And it's going to be a while. I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but I do think that if people you know, share this maybe with their veterinarians, I think a lot of it will come from eventually veterinarians kind of experimenting some of this stuff. Perhaps somebody reads this paper and says, oh, I can check for this bacteria, or I can try giving one of these injections, or I can try giving one of these oral injections and see what happens, and we'll you know, start to learn things from there. So a huge thank you to Emily and Stephen for putting this together and to Emily for sharing it with me. I am incredibly grateful and hopefully people who you know, listen to this podcast will check it out. I will be doing an update. I'll be doing an article on Tom's Big Spiders about it, kind of a breakdown of it that will be a little more efficient than me just kind of reading excerpts on the podcast. And then we will be talking to Emily and Stephen and asking some questions and maybe from there we can have something that we can start building upon. Uh, people that bring their tarantulas to the vet or have this maybe print it out and bring it with them so that maybe it might help them kind of help diagnose or maybe do some experimentation, figure out what might help the spider. But again, moving ahead, I think it's going to be something that's going to have to come from hobbyists and the hobby to try to get these animals better understood so that we can seek medical treatment for them when something should happen. And finally, at the end of the article, I don't want to leave this part out because I think it's crucial, but the authors did put out a request for information because, again, this is going to be a work in progress. I think they're going to continue studying cases of DKS when they come. So it basically says, our knowledge of DKS and Theraphosidae is still very minimal and any cases could contain vital information. If you have a suspected case, the authors would appreciate a case study brought to their attention. If you require a treatment plan, please contact the authors or the Veterinary Invertebrate Society. A list of information required is included below to aid in the gathering of case studies. And basically what they want to hear is the species, the age, the sex, wild caught or captive bred, details of the environment, diet, supplier of prey items, dated entries of changes to condition, treatment attempted, outcome of treatment, if specimen is deceased, pathologist report. So the pathologist report would probably be difficult to do, but perhaps we could arrange something where you could send the frozen spider to them so they can go through it. This would be something, and you know, I'm going to contact and ask questions when I interview them as to how people would realistically go ahead with this. And I do believe they're in the UK, so for folks in the US, that might be a little difficult to send you know, actual spiders to them, but we'll see. So I think going ahead, that would be huge in you know, furthering this research, because this is, again, Emily said this is just the beginning, and this is something that they're going to continue to work on, and they're going to need our help to do it, because this isn't something that you see often so it's going to take hobbyists kind of going "Uh oh i've got this and let me track some of the things i did and share some of this information so we can build you know a nice collection of cases to study from so that about does it for this one thanks so much again to emily and steven for the, the fine work they did on this and for sharing personally i think it's just great that somebody's actually taking the time to look at some of the maladies that can uh, plague 
tarantulas, we just really don't have a lot of information on them. So anything helps, and this is a huge step in the right direction. Hopefully some hobbyists that encounter this terrible set of symptoms can help them out and report what they've seen. I know I have a couple that uh, I could probably report on because I did take some notes after the fact as I was trying to figure out what happened to them. So hopefully we can get this information to them and they can get something done with it. And this week I will actually remember to post this on Facebook because I just realized I didn't post the last one. Sorry about that. (laughs) Every once in a while one of them gets by me and usually struggling on Sunday night to get things ready for school and I sometimes forget to do it. So we'll make sure this one gets up on Facebook so people can post any information they have. That would be a great place to start. As always, you can visit my website, tomsbigspiders.com. Or I'm on YouTube under Tom's Big Spiders, and I think most people know me from there at this point. So that'll do it for this one. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you guys all next time.